Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership Podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership Podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today, we're going to be discussing Monday's interview with Phil Dark, who's the president of Providence World. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that interview yet, it's definitely worth your time. But today, we're going to be actually discussing that interview. Joining me back in the studio today are Kelsey Broom, Jake Sullivan, and Jonathan Bethay. So what, what did y'all think about the interview? I was really impressed with his perspective, especially because somebody that has some a title like that, experience like that, degrees like that, you'd almost expect him to say kind of a, a certain kind of thing about leadership, um, more so geared towards big words, big big concepts, and businessy leadership does that make sense but it was very humble yeah and he's very relatable yeah um, I mean, you can tell he cares about some of the technical sides of things but only in as much as it helps him to lead his organization more effectively right yeah i really liked how uh how he not only had a heart for this issue with the uh one about orphans but it was more than throwing money at it right he wanted to find an effective way to like actually change lives. And so you could tell that he really, really wanted to, to do good and not just make himself feel better with the problem. You know, it yes. was really looking at the effect that it had and working to find a good solution. For sure. Jonathan, how about you? My first impression was similar to what Kelsey said, just in that when he starts talking, you can tell that he, he chooses his words very carefully. He articulates very well. And that obviously translates over into how effective he is as a leader and organizationally and everything. The other thing that I picked up on as I was listening was that he talks about everything from the smallest qualities, seemingly insignificant qualities of a leader, like humility, listening, things like that all the way to global organizational right. strategy. Yeah. yeah. And so it's quite quite a breadth of, of information, very rich with information throughout and just fascinating. Yeah, and there's so much more that we weren't able to cover. And uh, if, if any of you want to learn more, providenceworld.com is the place to go to really just catch a glimpse of what they're doing. Uh, it's a very impressive organization. One of the things that he brought up that I thought was was really interesting and worth discussing today is uh, the idea of, of mentorship. Uh, mm-hmm. He he talked about kind of how he, he had some areas where he wanted to grow and he sought out mentors in those areas. And uh, that's something that we talk about a lot, 
but I don't know if we do a great job of finding mentors in our own lives. Have any of you actively sought mentors out in your lives? And if so, have you had good experiences with the, the mentor-mentee relationship? Absolutely. Uh, there are several people older than me who I've spent quite a bit of time with. I've found that a lot of people have a lot of wisdom that they can share uh, people my age, younger people, but older people, anywhere between 30s, you know, up to 70s, 80s, just have some some amount of, of experience in life uh, and disappointment and experience in so many different areas of life that just makes what they share so much just so golden. Um, we were actually talking about this yesterday in my life group about discipleship, what discipleship looks like and how, how that correlates to mentorship and talking about reading through John chapter two and looking at discipleship and then our discipleship group and how, how all of this ties together. Turns out two of the people in, in our discipleship group, young college students or or one of them's a college student, one just graduated, actually lives with their mentors, hmm. uh, like renting a room type thing and, and just living life together, having meals, all of those things that, that a family does together. Hmm. Because we were looking at, at Christ's disciples and, and how yeah. they lived together, they, they ate together, they interacted all throughout the day. And so that's just something that I've been thinking about is what does real mentorship look like? Is it uh, absolutely you can get great insight by talking once a week or something like that, but what would it look like to, to actually live with somebody and and follow them around and emulate them and things like that? Yeah, I actually had a, an experience like that. It's funny you said that. Um, I lived with my mentor out of oh, college. Really? <laughs> yeah. And you're totally right. You're totally spot on. It was unreal. It was so formative. And it, what was really cool, I think you mentioned it. I think for mentorship, we think of it as almost too constructed of, well, I have to find the perfect person to emulate. Um, and then I need to formally write them a letter and ask them, will you mentor me or disciple me or whatever you want to call it? And then we meet once a week from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. at the same coffee shop. And I think we just get to, we box it in too much and then it gets almost uncomfortable or it has, it doesn't have room to, to be what it should be. And um, yeah, as you we were talking, I just got flooded with memories of, of living with, uh, my mentor was named Karis Spann and I lived with her and her husband. They, they bought a house a month before I graduated college she had approached me and said, hey, would you want to live with us and rent a, a basement room? And I said, absolutely. Well, if you want to think about it, nope, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> absolutely. It was amazing. I lived with them for six months. And I think now that I'm a mother and a, a wife, I do similar things. I, I respond similarly to my husband than Karis did to hers. And it was things that I just absorbed. I didn't even know it because it wasn't some formal note-taking session. Those can be helpful. But yeah, having a mentor and if you can't live with them, that's okay too. But just to have life with them, yeah, texting, sure. hanging out, that's I think really that's neat. almost yeah more impactful in a way. Yeah. Uh, 
I had a, a pretty solid, not realizing it was a mentorship at the time, didn't get to live with them, but did a lot of life and sort of, um, when I was in college, the head of the religion department was also the minister at the church I was going to. And he had a lot to do with bringing me back into, uh, the Christian faith. And we were kind of constantly doing things together and looking back at it now, I can sort of see the similarities to like early Greek philosophers or the rabbinical culture and like Jesus and his disciples and how we, Hmm. we had a lot of time where I was just, I feel like I was sort of sitting at his feet and just absorbing what he had learned over his life and, you know, have taken a lot of it into my own experience since then. One of the things that I I liked about what uh, Phil said is that his idea of mentorship was intensely practical because there are some times where you find those people that you just click with them. They're the type of person that you essentially could see yourself becoming like, almost like what you were saying, Mm -hmm. Kelsey. In in a lot of ways, there are just so many similarities. But uh, one of the things Phil said is that sometimes uh, you have to find 10 different people who are good at Hmm. 10 different things that you want to become good at. That was interesting. You want to find people that are experts in their area. And, you know, you probably picked this up from the interview, but Phil's mentality is is growth. You know, yeah. how how can I grow? What do I need to be doing as a leader to become better? And part of that may come from um, just that you know, he never expected to be a president of an organization. His background was in law. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't in business. But uh, here he is, and he's leading. He's doing it well, but he needs to find these people, or at least in the past he needed to find these people along the way to help him grow into the, the, the person he needs to become. And so when we can't find those those perfect people that yeah. are just aligned with us in that perfect way. When we can't find those people, then we need to look around and say, who are those five people hmm. that have the five skill sets that I need to learn? Who are those 10 people that I need to connect with so that I can learn the things that I need to learn hmm. that maybe no single person around me has? I think that's really wise. I'm glad you mentioned that because when he had said that, it kind of caught me off guard. Like, what? 10 people (laughs) what in the world but you're totally right josh that i think that's where a lot of people don't seek mentorship because there isn't this one perfect person that is the clone of us but just 10 years ahead that's right and that's not fair because we're all people you know um i have i'm in a life phase of being a mom and a wife and i have a passion for spanish and art okay so those are four important things to me well, what if I find somebody that likes art and is a mom and, and a wife, but doesn't like Spanish? Uh oh, you know that shouldn't disqualify no her. No bueno, right? <laughs> no bueno, indeed. But you know, that shouldn't disqualify her. But that what we should look that uh, at that like instead is cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to you for maybe marriage advice or or um, parenting advice, and then it's an opportunity then to have another friend another mentor like oh, i want to i want to learn more about spanish culture or whatever it may be whatever our gifts are whatever our interests are it's just an opportunity to have more perspectives influencing us so i think that i like that perspective that definitely challenged me in in my thinking because i think that's what's kept me from mentorship at different seasons of my life yeah and his insight on mentorship in this interview was really valuable Now, beyond mentorship, he talked about growth in general. 
What were some other growth-focused things that Phil talked about in this interview that you thought were really important and meaningful? Throughout the interview, talking about growth, he did talk about growth a lot, and he uh, he actively grows. But then also something that I was thinking about was that he his background in in law he was he talks about being analytically minded, and so he also grew before he got into the the position where he is now, just mentally being mentally capable and whatnot. And so uh, the analytical skills, the problem solving that he talked about, just his 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 background in research and development and all of those things. But then he also talks about how leadership usually doesn't make sense. And that's something that, that really was odd to me not that it was odd that he would say that because leadership really doesn't make sense a lot of times, but just how those two, uh, those two dichotomies or that dichotomy of, of analytically making sense versus leadership really doesn't make sense and how you can excel at both. And so what I was thinking was, so if, if leadership doesn't make sense or usually doesn't make sense to some extent, then how how should we make decisions is it is it pro con list but if it doesn't make sense then do pro con lists actually work should we have like a list of principles that we prioritize and organize or and just go off off the the things that that we value those principles or how how do we make decisions in leadership yeah that I think that sort of ties into the notion of having like five or 10 different mentors and, you know, to, to go off what Kelsey was saying, where if you have to be ready to sort of roll with whatever comes at you, if it's not going to be exactly how you plan, it's nice to have a wealth of knowledge to draw from. So you're not tied into that one specific person who you want to be like, and whose interests match up with yours. But then when life and leadership throws you that curveball, you've got other people to draw from and to grow towards. So Jake, I guess what, what you're really uh, pointing toward is that even though the, the logic may not work out, maybe the experience is really what allows us to make good decisions. Yeah. Whether it be our experience or other people's experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to be able to learn and grow. And I think, I think the, the logic not working out is a lot of times just the way that we've planned things to go. Don't always aren't exactly like, that's what I took from the idea that leadership doesn't always make sense is sometimes you try to lead a certain direction and it ends up going an entirely different way. And you can't control everything as a leader. You have to be, uh, sort of humble to the way that God works and the way that your organization works underneath. He did talk about humility as well. And I I don't want to conflate too many of these topics, but he also talked about looking for organizations that think differently. And so I think there's, there's an element of, um, you have to just be willing to go into a situation and be flexible, be malleable, be teachable, be humble. And in, in being those things, you'll be more open to leading how you need to lead. Uh, I don't think that leadership is unpredictable in that 
there are n- no clear paths forward. Right. I think it's unpredictable in that you're dealing with people and <laughs> situations, <laughs> people. and there's there's always that um, the interaction of of things yeah. that uh, really. Uh, creates complexity but that doesn't mean that the leadership uh is impossible or there's no right. clear path forward sure. it's that you need to just kind of be in the ready the ready position and be ready to make whatever uh, moves need to to take place i think one thing too jonathan when he was talking about sometimes it doesn't make sense it just reminded me of the other part of the interview that he had mentioned doing your job correctly and matching the needs of people that they actually have. And I know he was ta- discussing uh, the framework of his organization being that they set these kids up, these orphans with families because that's what they need. Mm-hmm. And then he talked about how when the kids leave the home, they don't just get replaced because yeah, for sure. And, and he, and he mentioned, and I, I loved that model. I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was so cool, but he, he mentioned it was pretty quick, but he had said something along the lines of, it's more costly because think about it. If you can have a family raise 10 kids versus have them raise one and then get a whole other family on board. Yeah. That's it's more complicated because you have to find these people that are willing, um, which just that's hard. Like you said, Josh, you're dealing with people, but it, it that's what I kind of got from that doesn't make sense. Um, it didn't because honestly, from a business kind of perspective, from a money kind of perspective, a lot of people might look at that and think that's foolish. That's a poor model, but he, it's because he knows the needs of these kiddos and from the families. I thought that that was so cool that he pointed out, you could almost like use these families until they are all worn out. But what good is that? That's not nourishing. That's not people thriving. Um, and so I, I just, that's what I got from that. Uh, Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. That was the other aspect I was thinking that it doesn't make sense sometimes, but when you know the true needs of the people that you're serving, when you know what's going to be best for the people in the long run, it does make sense in a kind of backwards way. Yeah. And once again, when you're doing, when you're seeking to do something with excellence, sometimes you're going to have to take that longer path. Right. But what they're doing is changing lives, and like like you were saying, it it's nourishing to people. It's 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 setting people in situations that are as natural as they can be given the circumstances. And that's one of the things that really does impress me about uh, what Providence World is doing and what the movement that they're kind of helping to lead across the world is seeking to do as well. Uh, just to to say, what do we need to do to do this with excellence? Let's do that thing. It might take a little more time. It might take a little more effort. But if it's going to uh, impact lives for the better, then it's worth it. Yeah, I I really dug the whole notion of finding what people need and and not not going with things just because it's the way that you're used to them being. Um, He also mentioned as as this worldwide movement that culture changes things. And you need people who are fully engrossed in that culture. It made me sort of question the notion of excellence and how we see that differently through a cultural lens sometimes as well. And how you bring in people from the local culture and their view of excellence has a lot to do with what your leadership starts moving towards. For instance, he's from this American culture 
and highly analytical, he said, and doesn't see himself as an empathetic person because of results of personality tests. But then we also can see in his interview that he's very much an empathetic person. Uh, And a lot of that might not be a natural gift, but he has a passion for something and has sought that out in a way that has created uh, a talent for it, even if it wasn't naturally there or if it's not an easy thing for him to do. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about that, I thought that was so mature of him to even admit where he's grown and where he's come from. One question I had based off of that was, where do you stick to your strengths and where do you delegate? Because I think at times there there are places where we absolutely need to grow. We all as leaders, as people, we need to keep growing. But I know sometimes in leadership positions that I've held, I don't have a strength or an ability that maybe my coworker has already. So I guess my question to y'all then is where do you push through, grow, learn, seek counsel? And where do you think that line is to not give up or not pursue that growth, but to just delegate to someone else? I feel like part of that is where is the need? Mm, If there's someone who, if there's a coworker who's great at doing something and you, um, have the opportunity to hand that to them, then by all means do that. But sometimes uh, people don't have that luxury. You have to be the person to do the thing. So a little bit of it has to do with the need of the hour. At the same time, I think it's always good to be focusing on areas where you can grow. I do think that there is something to be said for focusing on your areas of strength and really increasing those. At the same time, sometimes we use that as an excuse to not focus on the things that are less comfortable for us to (laughs) admit our weaknesses in our lives. Oh, absolutely. And when I think about that, I really think about two different things. For example, is it a trait or is it a Hmm. task? And so we always want to be growing Uh in in these traits and our our ability to to think a certain way or uh, be humble, all of these different things. But if it's a task, that may be something that is better delegated. And of course, we want to we want to practice things that we're learning that we're not great at. But ultimately, who's doing the bulk of these tasks? Hmm. It may not be the person that's that's not naturally good at them. So that's kind of what I think about is, is it something that I'm growing to be able to do or, or be able to become a different person? Or is this a task that needs to be be completed. Another question related to the whole strengths, weaknesses, personality assessments uh, topic that he brought up was, have you found personality assessments to be helpful in uh, understanding how to work with people and communicate with people? Is that something that you have focused on in your own lives or is that something that you don't, uh, that doesn't really come into consideration? I love (laughs) personality tests personally I have found that the Enneagram tests are so in-depth and accurate and that's just my personal experience but I actually love a feature uh, of on the website the Enneagram Institute.com but one of the features is when you know your number their numbers one through nine when you know your number you're able to actually look up your number and how it relates to another number. 
And that's my favorite feature of the whole system because I have certain family members and um, even new friends that I've used this literally for. I, I have gone to a coffee date with a new friend before, gone home because we talked about our, our types, gone <laughs> home. I'm not even kidding, Jake. I've gone home, looked at, okay, I'm this and she's that. Oh, okay. That's why I wasn't really tracking with her. Okay. And honestly, for two kind of reasons, I think it's so important to know yourself and to identify things because we know who we kind of know who we are. But when you when somebody has it written down in front of you, strengths and weaknesses, and you can finally you can sit there and kind of make it click a little bit more. You can be better prepared to lead better, to understand others better, to help yourself be understood better. But then also on the back end. When you have a fight, when you have an argument, when you don't understand somebody, if you're able to use tools like that, say, oh, it's because of this. Okay. Then that empathy kind of, that's kind of gets played in of, oh, that makes sense now because this is their main motivator and it's the opposite of mine. Okay. What can I do to um, marry that or or reconcile that, if that makes sense? So I, I find them very useful. And, and beneficial to relationships. Is anyone else as bullish on uh, personality <laughs> assessments as Kelsey as she's made her point very clear? Yes. Normally, I'm not very much, I think, because I'm used to hearing people say, oh, this is what I am mm. from a test that I took six years ago. And people change. And especially right. when you see those things that they tell you, if you work on them, you can change the results over time. But if you're using them the way that Kelsey says she likes to use them, Thank I can you. see that as a useful tool. <laughs> and also, yeah. this is dangerous ground. People that are passionate <laughs> about certain tests yeah. will will defend them frequently. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, there is, I think, definitely, there's there's good and there's room for harm in anything. And I think, I know a lot of people... I think we've even talked about this before, Jake. Probably but so. yeah, there there is. I tend to break the test. <laughs> That's okay too. Um, I think a lot of people view them as a box and like, oh, don't put me in a box, or I don't want to be put in a box. And I think that that is dangerous. I think it's very dangerous to look at people and say, oh, well, you're just a six, and then walk away. But if your intention is, I want to make this coworker and, and like our relationship better. I want to understand them better. I want to understand myself better and how I relate to others. I think if you're using it in that lens, it can be totally helpful. But yeah, it, it's it's tempting when you know the types very well to just type someone and move on. And that and that doesn't also just because you're a nine today doesn't mean you're a nine <laughs> tomorrow or next year. Sure, <laughs> I'm not sure what a nine is. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you're probably a nine. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've used a lot of those. Like he mentioned, the Strength Finder, the uh, Enneagram, and I found a lot of them to be very accurate in a lot of ways. Of course, like Kelsey said, like you said, we're not we're not in a box, and so there's there's nuances here and there that are that are different, that are unique for every person. Uh, one one thing that I do appreciate about the Enneagram is it actually goes beyond what your number is and shows you how you how you grow and when you're when you're stressed you actually uh tend to be more like this other this other uh personality trait or style or whatever uh and so that's and and those 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 leanings whether you're um in your strength 
or in your weakness or when you're stressed, all of those things, they, they've actually been very accurate. So, um, so the Enneagram, I think, does a good job of kind of being being dynamic and flexible and going with a person as they grow and, and all of those things. So this has been a good side conversation, <laughs> but we need to go ahead and wind down today's show. Leading with excellence takes extra time, extra effort. Sometimes it takes uh, people who can teach us things we don't yet know. And uh, Phil's example uh, really shows that if you take the time to learn about others, to learn from others, then you can lead with excellence. And I really appreciated that about uh, what he shared with us this week. Let's go ahead and close out the show with some takeaways. Uh, Jake, what were some of the key takeaways from the interview that we heard on Monday? I think my biggest takeaway was leaders are learners. It was one of his key points at the end, and it sort of was woven through everything that he said, that as a leader, you have to be willing to grow and improve, and you have to be willing to help the people beneath you grow and improve, because a great leader is going to make great leaders. Kelsey, how about for you? I think one of the... I learned a lot and I took away a lot from this. I think it was an excellent interview, but I think one of the coolest things that I took away was actually Josh, when you had just asked him what the purpose of his organization was and he, he started with the goal is to inspire others. And I don't think he was trying to, you know, give some leadership quip. I think that was just what his goal was. And I thought that was, it just stood out to me kind of in an interesting way of man, as leaders, more than anything, I don't need to make other Kelsey's really. I don't. Um, I need to make friends, kids, um, family, whatever, who they're meant to be and equip them to be as confident and healthy and, and growing and flourishing as they can be as them. So I think that, that as funny as it was, it, that inspired me to inspire others more. It really shows that some of the things that you teach people are things you're not even trying to teach them. Right. They just pick them up along the yeah. way. Yeah. Jonathan, how about for you? Yeah, Josh, there were a couple of things that really stuck out to me as I was listening to this. Uh, one of the biggest ones was thinking about the issue of orphan care and how they are approaching it completely different than the, than the norm. Uh, the rut is so easy to fall into, whether it be orphan care, whether it be something completely different, even, even in industry and uh, something that's very different than a humanitarian type uh, issue, and so whether it's whether it's something like that or something like machining steel, uh, starting something at, random like <laughs> machining steel. <laughs> well, I, I'm trying to think something like the polar opposite. Sure, you sure. Know, you have you have people who have emotions and think and and act differently, and then you have you know steel that that. Thinking about it from a, a normal everyday perspective, it's very uh, cut and dry. You just you have one way you do it. It's very uh, assembly line type thing. You have the hole punches, and but whatever it is, starting at the at the very bottom of of everything and reevaluating how it's done, saying is this actually the best way to do it or how can we do it more effectively, more efficiently yeah. for what we're working with? The other thing that I really took away from this was one of his summary points at the end about some way to to get better this week or 
something to do better this week, but then also helping someone else do the same. And that talk that goes back to what we talked about mentorship, discipleship, what have you, and, and not letting us be the end of the rope, but then passing that on to someone else, helping the next person as well. For sure. Yeah. One of the things uh, I took away was similar to something you had said, which is to think differently and don't necessarily follow the norm. That doesn't mean we have to buck the norm automatically. (laughs) That can be a tendency of some people, but we don't necessarily need to follow the norm either. Think differently with how you view the world, how you approach problems, and that can help you to really uh, create some solutions to problems that right. people may not have yet uh, found the solution to. Another thing is to be humble. There are a lot yeah. of unknowns in leadership. There are a lot of things that you aren't prepared to encounter yet. So enter into your leadership humbly. And the yeah. final thing, and I think this is the big thing, is find specific mentorship mm-hmm. for your life. Identify those areas where you need to grow and then find maybe multiple people yeah. to help you get to those goals. Kelsey, Jake, Jonathan, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Absolutely. Josh. It's awesome. been great. Thanks for joining the show this week. I hope you learned something new and feel more prepared to take leadership in your own life to the next level. If you found this content valuable and would like to help out the podcast, here are three things you can do. One, subscribe to the podcast so you'll get new episodes each week as they come out. Two, Share this week's interview with someone you think would benefit from it. For three, give us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. All three of these actions will make it easier for others to find us and join the community. You can never have too many good leaders, right? Until next time, keep living and leading well. Thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist... It feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. 
If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now, or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.